Hey folks, welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. This is Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... Dan, the Ambassador of Nonsense. Welcome everyone. This is our third installation of the ex- the commentary on uh, Pope Francis's document, which I still don't even know how to say. Let's... Desi Desi. I like to call this series Triple D. It's the dissection of Desiderio Desideravi. Yeah. I, I, I'm i still wondering what we're going to... Because all of this is going to be published in a book, which I, I have no idea if anyone would ever have any interest in reading a dissection of one of Pope Francis's documents. But... We're going to put it out there because I don't, not too many exist that I know of. Um, but this one was written to the laity. So I'm like, okay, well, the lady's going to respond to this because this is how we yep. feel. And I'm, I, it's true. We are speaking for a small percentage of Catholics, but I think generally most traditionalists would agree with everything we're saying here, or at least most of it. And I don't know. I think it's we need it. It needs to be down on paper somewhere. It, it, this is what he's doing to us, and it sucks. And this is the reason he gave for what he did. And that's not only sucks, but it's stupid and retarded. And some of it's true, but not in its justification of limiting the TLM. It's the exact opposite. We're going. All the way to paragraph 41. 4-1. All right. We had a lot. About two-thirds for the document. Yeah. Uh, But this one will have a few more paragraphs than the other ones. Um, I think I had more to say about it. You had less to say about it. But it'll probably even out. But 41 particularly... Uh, we have a lot to say about. So starting with the first sentence, um, from all that we have said about the nature of the liturgy, it becomes clear that knowledge of the mystery of Christ, the decisive question for our lives, does not consist in a mental assimilation of some idea, but in real existential engagement with his person. I He says his person. Is he talking about with Christ? I think... Okay, that should be a capital yeah. I, that's kind of weird. It's like it's a, talking about Christ's person as something distinct, distinct from Christ Himself. Yeah, um, there is only one I, person. But again, Christ. understand that this is also um, probably a translation, either from Latin or Italian, and and so the translators may do goofy things as well. I, you know, but okay, but he didn't capitalize is, his. He that's never, why they I'm, never do in those documents. They do most of the time. Most of most of this he did. Really? They did I, that correctly. But I'm did it, noticing there. Oh, okay. But I didn't. Okay. Know. I'm used to not to seeing that not done even in church. Documents. That's the only reason I'm questioning this. Oh yeah, you're right. I, I see a few other places where I think that was a, a goof that they missed that. Yeah. But I, I mean, he is right here because the the point of the mass isn't the acquisition of some kind of knowledge um, that that you can just hold intellectually, that, that that would actually be a Gnostic understanding 
of the mass. And so on that level, he's right. The mass itself is this personal engagement with Christ himself, the culmination of which, of course, is receiving Holy Communion. Um, so I just wanted to point out that, that that's one of those things that's true. And that's one of the things that separates Catholic, the, the Catholic Mass, mm-hmm. from Protestant services. Well, but the thing is, that's that's what you miss because when you go to the Novus Ordo, it's not like the point is that encounter with Christ. I'm going to use goofy New Agey words, but at the Novus Ordo, it's like you're being presented something for your mind to grasp rather than being invited into something that is beyond what your mind at least directly perceives within the the events happening before you. We go to the traditional mass and we know, oh, now the priest has changed or is changing the bread and wine into the body and blood of Jesus. He's elevating it, presenting it to the Father. We unite ourselves to that. We hear the bells and everything like that. And then... We go up, we kneel at the communion rail, and we receive Christ. That used to be a piece of bread, but now it's Christ. And we receive that, and therefore receive Christ wholly into ourselves. And that's the focus of what's presented to us. Whereas in the new Mass, there's so much stuff around it, and so much lights and sounds and everything. It, it's, it almost is as though that aspect of it's being downplayed and... What's being played up is this presentation of something for you to observe and absorb into your mind. Yeah. Well, his next sentence says, in this sense, liturgy is not about knowledge. And I just want to add here that it's not opposed to knowledge. Well, true. The more knowledge you have... The better the more you can participate yeah, in the Yeah, I, I think that's true of almost anything. I mean, yeah. look, go outside, lay down in the grass, and look up at the stars. And you get a sense of wonder. You've got all kinds of ideas bouncing around in your head. And it's fun just to look at them. And for a long time, I did that. And then one day, I got to a... a I started living in an area where you can only see like five stars in the whole stupid sky. So um, what I ended up doing was uh, studying the constellations more and then using the very few stars that I could see to kind of figure out where I am in that map. And mm-hmm. then a couple years later, I moved back to a place where I could really see the sky again. And it was so much better because I had taken the time to study the different areas of the sky and learn what I could see up there. It was much more fulfilling, if that's the kind of word I'm looking for. It was it was mm-hmm. a better experience. I can't imagine that not being true with God. The more I learn about him, the more the Mass means to me. And this... I, it, this kind of continues throughout the rest of the document. It's like an opposition of knowledge. And it's ridiculous. It's stupid. Yeah, we should be very careful to oppose any sense in which we would 
push knowledge away right. as one of the means of deepening our participation in the Mass. Yeah, it never hinders our our sense of wonder or sense of mystery or sense of surprise, as uh, Pope Francis loves to say. If you learn more about God, you're not surprised more about... Uh, you're not surprised less. You're surprised more. Learning always helps. So, okay. Um, yeah. We've got liturgy is about praise... As a matter of fact, he says uh, it's not about knowledge. Rather, I'm skipping a sentence there, but rather liturgy is about praise, about rendering thanks for the Passover of the Son whose power reaches our lives. That's a tricky one for me because on the one hand, uh, the, the, it, it's kind of awkward because throughout this letter, in fact, he refers to the term liturgy in seemingly two different ways, or at least it's, it's ambiguous sometimes what he's talking about. On the one hand, most people, when they, you know, you say the liturgy and what comes to your mind is the mass. Yeah. And usually when you're saying it that way, especially with the, um, with the article, the, in front of it, the liturgy, usually you mean the mass, but Liturgy, the liturgy itself isn't just the mass. The, the liturgy is the entire body of official public prayer of the church. And therefore, liturgy includes, obviously, the mass, but also all of the rites of all the sacraments and the breviary and maybe a couple of other things that I'm not thinking of. Mm-hmm. But all of this stuff together is liturgy or the church's liturgy. Um, and if we think of liturgy itself, we think of that as being the church's official public prayer, then taken as a body, yes, the, the primary thing that that's about is praise to God. That's the body of Christ, the church, giving praise to God in connection with and in response to what Christ came and gave to us. Right. However, this is a really subtle distinction that I don't even know if I'm going to formulate it very well. But when we think of the Mass as the Mass, um, or when we think of liturgy as the Mass, and not as that broader body of official public prayer, but as the thing that is the Mass... It's not even primarily about praise because it's not primarily our act as a church. It's primarily the action of Christ, and it's primarily about sacrificial gift to the Father. That's what Christ accomplishes in the Mass, and which he fulfilled and demonstrated the totality of on the cross. And so that's this is one of those things like I said it's 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 just tricky if I say I disagree with it there's a way that that you know you you can bring it out to show that I'd be wrong for disagreeing on the other hand there's a way that you can bring it out to show that I would be wrong for agreeing with it This is another one of those areas where it's a matter of interpretation uh I mean this could be flat out wrong or it could be flat out right and um, 
the only, you know, according to Pope Benedict, then the way we ought to read it is the way in which it's right. But we happen to yeah. know here that that's not the way he wrote it. <clears throat> I mean, we, right. we know Pope Francis, this whole document is about the mass, not yeah. liturgy. And, and, and I think Pope Francis really does, even though in other parts of this very document, he seems to indicate otherwise, everything about his pontificate makes me believe that Pope Francis really does think that the Mass is primarily an act of the church rather than, and, and therefore an act of man rather than an act of Christ and therefore an act of God. Right. Yeah, he... He, he, get, he. We see that several times, and we'll talk about it again because of certain other things that he says, where he's obviously wrong, and that's primarily why we know he's wrong. But um, yeah, I guess okay. So in this one, he could be wrong. He's not wrong precisely in his wording, but we know his meaning because. We know Pope Francis. Um, let's see. We've got uh, the full extent of our formation is our uh, confirmation to Christ. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that sentence as it sits and would only point out that that's why it's so important for the Mass um, to be Christocentric and to reflect its christ-centered reality yeah um let's see he says i repeat it does not have to do with an abstract mental process but with becoming him i would point out that well this is the purpose for which the spirit is given whose action is always and only to confect the body of christ first of all there's I, that's weird that's a weird statement the way it is yeah the, the action of the Holy Spirit is only to confect the body of Christ? That that implies that the Holy Spirit's entire existence is not integral to the interior life of God. That outside of this body of Christ concept in creation, the Holy Spirit has no place between the Father and the Son. That, that's what the sentence implies to me. That is a weird that's what it looks Strange like it says. For a Pope to say. And it, it could be a translation problem. It could be, right. Maybe, I mean, I, I, okay, if we say that's what the Spirit does in the Mass, maybe. I don't know. Possibly. Even then, yeah. well, the Spirit I does... Buy, I, I do, don't buy it on those levels. Yeah, I don't... You know, that score either. Yeah, it's, it's not true there either. It's... Uh, <clears throat> And again, it, it does not have to do with an abstract mental process, uh, but with becoming him. But I, why are we opposed to an abstract mental process? I mean, there's that's generally part of it. I mean, to become Christ, we it's part of our mental process to go out and say, hey, this beggar wants money, and I'm going to give him money, and that's uh, part of my becoming Christ. Um, and things like that. So if we're going to become him in heart, mind, uh, soul, it, then then the mind is part of it. And so is our right. mental processes. Right. 
to the extent that we're able. I mean, I, I guess in a way you could say, okay, but, but a, um, like, for example, in, in at least some of the Eastern churches, maybe all of them, I don't know, but, but the, the ones that are, including the ones that are in union with Rome, I think maybe Byzantine as well, um, when they baptize a baby, they actually administer all three sacraments of initiation at the same time. They'll give the, the you know, baptism, obviously. Yeah. And they'll um, confirm the baby as well and then take a tiny piece of the host and put it on the baby's tongue and let the baby naturally um, swallow it. Okay, well, so that baby participates in that particular Eucharist without having the abstract mental processes. Yes, true enough, but the baby's not capable of them. But for those of us who are thinking of thinking age, you know, we've got to be there mentally too. Right. It, it, otherwise, we're not wholly there. I can't think about work while I'm... Uh, okay, I, I can't... At mass. If I'm making and, love and, to my wife, thinking about work is not a part of that. Or <laughs> emptying my mind completely. It's, it's there, occupied with not what's in front of me. So... Right. To say it's not a uh, mental process, I would say he's, he's wrong there. It's just not primarily, or it's not only a mental process. Right, right. The mental process is in the service of something deeper. Right. Perhaps that would be the better way to word it. But I think Pope Francis is very much opposed to mental processes. Yeah, and he, he says... And he, he, he says it does not have to do with an abstract mental process. Well, it does have to do with it just in a way that maybe a Gnostic would not agree with. Yeah. Um, okay. Paragraph 42 it drags on and um, he gets into the liturgy is done with things that are the exact opposite of spiritual abstractions, bread, wine, blah, blah. It goes through a bunch of stuff. The whole creation is a manifestation of the love of God from when that same love was manifested in its fullness in the cross of Jesus. All of creation was drawn towards it. I, this is just more of his, what obviously he thinks of as poetic wording. It's drivel. It, yeah, there's no meaning in all of this, and it's certainly not profound in any way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's true enough, but it's like so baseline true. Mm-hmm. I mean, Catholicism has always been an earthy religion. Yeah, I'm, you know we're we're very much entrenched in the world, even though we as as people and as a church are not of the world. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, let's see. The liturgy gives glory to God, not because we can add something to the beauty of the inaccessible light within which God dwells, nor can we add to the perfection of the angelic song, which resounds eternally through the heavenly places. Okay, I've got a note here, but I have to look at this and... Figure out what the heck More he's trying to add to the perfection. No, I guess we can't add to the perfection. No, of course not. Um, okay, this glory and the beauty that we're there to witness, we see that as kind of through a window. 
Um, it's not entirely open to us. And if you have a better understanding of what we're witnessing, even though we don't necessarily witness it with our eyes, um, we get a better appreciation of it because we get a better view of it. Um, when you get closer to a window, the the landscape behind that opens up. It gets larger. Yeah. And that's this <clears throat> is why the study of things is important. It, it also opens uh, <clears throat> an atmosphere of ceremonial dignity gives the lady both the disposition necessary to receive our Lord and the reverence that naturally encourages inner discourse with our Lord, all while allowing our bodies to perform these prayers and gestures that he keeps talking about. Um, this stuff was just tossed down the toilet, and they tried to make Mass fun, and, you know, grade school ministers taught kids to dance as if they're in a dance recital when it's the Mass. And the Mass was stripped of dignity, and the only way to appreciate this beauty that that still exists, because the sacrament is still exists, the only way to appreciate it is through an act of sheer will. Now, whether the attendees know it or not, they've been robbed of all the beauty that a 2,000-year-old presentation used to give to us, and now that window is just a peephole. You have to dig deep to be able to learn how to appreciate this beauty. It's taking the Eucharist doesn't give you the kind of window that learning about the liturgy would give us. I We can't add to the light, but we can get more of the light. You know, right, I mean, the, right. the light... But it's important to, to, to point out, though, that that and and to recognize that there is a spiritual aspect to communion a spiritual value that cannot be attained mentally as well right and in that i think the pope is is right but the disposition to that spiritual value so even though you you can't you know, the graces are not a mental process. You can't even be aware of them. Right. You, you know, you, you can only look back and recognize that, that oh, you behaved in a certain way that maybe you might not have before. That's the development of grace. You can't even be aware of them. But the mental processes dispose you better to receiving those graces. Yeah. They place you in the state of contrition for your sins and then anticipation of the mysteries and 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 absolute reliance on Christ himself and so on and so forth those those are all mental processes and acknowledgments right i mean the next sentence is the liturgy gives glory to god because it allows us here on earth to see god in the celebration of the mysteries and in seeing him to draw life from his passover but we only see it nowadays because we're told to see it. We only yeah. see it because you tell us it's there. It's not there in the it's not in the ceremony. You only know to appreciate it because you're told to appreciate it. Whereas the old mass, you you didn't have to be told. You yeah, looked you for say it that because something was there. Yeah, even if 
even if you didn't understand what it was. But, you know, I would even disagree with this statement. The liturgy gives glory to God because God is the principal actor. Yeah. I mean, the sentence as it stands is bunk. The the liturgy gives glory to God because it's Jesus. What the liturgy is, is Jesus giving glory to the Father. Without the rest of us here, it would continue to give glory to God. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't give that aspect of it. So and we wouldn't benefit with uh, uh, right know, as much that our benefit of that glory needs us to be there. Yeah, um, he goes on about this some more. You know, uh, the glory of I, I think he's quoting someone named uh, Irenaeus. Uh, the glory of oh Saint Saint uh, Irenaeus. Yeah. Okay, the glory of God is man alive. And the life of man consists in seeing God. If the revelation of God through the creation already gives life to all living beings on earth, how much more then is the manifestations of the Father through the Word the cause of life for those who see God? Now, the problem is that we've decided to hide this glory in this, in the banality of the Novus Ordo. And we yeah. copied it from the Protestants who had already broken off from God's church. And we took the most magnificent ceremony we have in all of history, and in order to make them more comfortable, we hid all the reasons to, all all the things about it that let people know what's really going on. And I, it's kind of like we took the pearls, and in order to make them more appeasing appealing to the swine, we covered them with dirt so that they yeah. wouldn't know they were pearls. That's what we've done. That's true. That's that's exactly what we've done. That's exactly what the Novus Ordo is. And it's sad. And it, what you can... For those of us who do attend the Trident team, it's so difficult to go to a Novus Ordo and listen to this and thinking... I know what's really going on, and I know the prayers that used to exist here, and then I see this. And it's, it's, uh, there aren't even the words to describe how mm-hmm. we feel about that. And that's why we are fighting to try to keep the Tridentine Mass alive. Uh, Gardini, this guy keeps quoting, who's not a saint or a doctor or anything of the church, he's just some guy that. Uh, he was really of Gardini. his whole uh, his whole way of thinking is kind of emphasizing more on the supper instead of on the sacrifice. And this was condemned by Pius XII. This guy that Pope Francis quotes over and over in this document. I, I don't know why this this is not someone who, but he was a big part of the. Uh, Vatican II movement. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We don't know what he contributed. I don't think to any specific documents. Um, but again, like I've said before, this guy is part of the problem. Yeah, I think a lot of his work was done prior to Vatican II, and his ideas got embedded into some of the Vatican II documents on on at least the liturgical ones. Yeah. I'll have to do a little bit of research on him. Okay, so but what he does say is here it is uh, 
where are we here? Here it is outlined, the first task of the work of liturgical formation. Man must become, once again, capable of symbols. Well, well, if then, he wrote that uh, today, yeah. Get rid of the new mass. I mean, that wasn't true back then. No, it wasn't. It is true now. It's true now. The new mass has destroyed man's capability for symbols. Yeah. It's... Uh, and we see that because of this this movement to bring the mass back. I mean, it's it's showing it it shows us that we've been starving for some uh, symbols. Yeah, it's not just that. That's an interesting point. It's not just that we ought to be capable of symbols, and therefore it would be good to us, and therefore the church should think about that. It's it's more like it's built into us to to have symbols, and so that's why there's this this resurrection, this this uh, acceleration of interest in the traditional mass because it's serving a need that we have that's being denied in the Novus Ordo. Yeah, you know this next part kind of first he says some things that that aren't just are stupidly wrong about modern man and about modern man at the time that Gardini wrote that. Mm -hmm. But then he says, this happens also with the symbol of our body. Our body is a symbol because it is, it, it is an intimate union of soul and body. I, this is a misuse of the word symbol. A symbol is a visible sign of something. Generally, a, a visible sign of something invisible, often, especially in, in church symbols, yeah. in religious symbology. Um, the fact of a body tells believing Christians that there's a soul, but that doesn't make it a symbol. It doesn't symbolize a, a shamrock symbolizes the Trinity. A picture of something symbolizes whatever it is that represents, but... A symbol uses a common thing to remind someone or to indicate that there's something more unusual or complex there. And to bring that to mind, the the body is just the other half of a person. It's almost like he's saying that I okay, he does admit here that it's an intimate union of body and soul, but right. one it's half doesn't so symbolize the other. Soul. It's just one half. That's all. And it's this is Ignorant, retarded uh, language to try to sound, again, it's like he's trying to sound poetic and profound, and it's not poetic or profound. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's a misuse of the words. Um, our openness to the transcendent God is constitutive of us. Constitutive of us. Yeah, it I mean, it just means it's part of who we are. Okay, yeah. yeah, so. So, that's okay, so we God. saw the symbols of the Tridentine Mass disappeared, and the world became obsessed with empty symbols of non-existent transcendence, trying to gain what was once obvious to most of the world. So when you think weird things like rocks stacked on top of each other, or crystals, or yoga, or... Pachamama, all these are symbols 
of a transcendence that doesn't exist. Now, the symbols of the transcendence that does exist is gone now. And mm-hmm. look where it got us. Now we've got a pope worshiping and, and coining a, a, a money after the, the Pachamama. So it's just the whole thing here, talking about symbols and how we don't know how to use them, and it's dumb. Uh, he goes through a paragraph here that not to recognize this leads us inevitably not only to not knowing God, but it's also not knowing ourselves. More drivel. And yeah, it's impossible to know what he's even talking just, about here. He, he's just spewing words out. And then he says, uh, Every symbol is at the same time both powerful and fragile. If it is not respected, if it is not treated for what it is, it shatters, loses its force, becomes... In- this is just nonsense. It doesn't mean anything. It's <laughs> like saying every computer must be carefully milked or the cows will be in pain. What? Yeah. Why are you saying these things? They don't make any sense. And I just, I know he does that a lot, and it's hard to have to point it out every time it happens. But as we're going through this, I can't just let this go. This is idiotic. Yeah, this is really dumb. Um, then he, he brings in St. Francis here. He said, who, who looked at the sun, which he called brother because he felt it to be. Uh, I don't think he felt like the son was his brother. I think he was just trying to speak poetically. Um, and saw it beautiful yeah. and radiant with great splendor and full of wonder. He sang that it bears a likeness to you, most high one. Um, yeah, but the problem is now the churchmen of our day, including our Pope, look at the sun and personify it and worship it. And they've lost the symbology that the old rites had to offer. St. Francis had those symbols, and he could use symbols to talk in these poetic psalms that he wrote out. Uh, But we don't have that. Instead, we've got Pachamama. And he can't can't use St. Francis and compare it to, to what he's trying to write here. It's not the same. Yeah. St. Francis never worshipped anyone but God. And he didn't encourage anyone else to worship anything but God. That's the, that needs to be said over and over again. Pope Francis is not St. Francis. Not even close. Uh, as a matter of fact, another thing, St. Francis rejected the, the, the common culture of the modern world that he lived in. Pope Francis wholeheartedly embraces it and Mm -hmm. pushes it on holier people. Yeah. And condemns people who rejects that. So Pope Francis wants all of the church's spiritual power to be directed at the cares of the world. He's all about environmentalism and stuff like that. Um, And and again, I'm just going to point out that okay, He's talking about St. Francis's gaze at the sun. Um, most people would admit that St. Francis was kind of an odd character. And the language he used was mostly poetic and could never be considered as a good source for doctrinal truth. I don't know of any, any encyclicals that 
directly define doctrines that use St. Francis as their their teaching point. You know what I mean? Oh, right. Uh, Aquinas is how we explain doctrine. And, uh, you know, even St. Augustine, who was a little bit more poetic, but um, Thomas More and Thomas... Uh, I can't think of his name. St. Thomas de Sales. Oh, he, right. he was a big... Uh, no, you mean Francis de Sales. Francis de Sales. Yeah, okay. Um, anyway, these... This is how we come to our doctrine, and to quote him and then go on this dissertation that really doesn't mean anything. Again, I I hate having to point this out over and over again, but uh, we gotta we gotta get our heads out of the clouds, and we can't look at poetry and act like it's something that can direct us any way towards a better understanding other than, I don't know, I guess I, that's all I'm trying to say is I, I get, there's more of this and more of this and more of this. And he keeps going on with this language and I'm going to keep saying, no, that's dumb. Um, he says, and yet there could be no question of renouncing such language. He's talking about the, uh, well, I'm going to have to back up here. To have lost the capacity to grasp the symbolic value of the body, that's what we just said, there's no symbolic symbolic value of the body. And of every creature, okay, if we're talking about the symbolic uh, value of every creature, that's very different than this. what he's describing as the symbolic value of the body. Because he's saying the body symbolizes a soul, and the body of every other creature does not. So, and every creature renders the symbolic language of the liturgy almost inaccessible to the modern mentality. No, it, it, and yet there can be no question of renouncing such language. It cannot be <clears throat> renounced because it is how the Holy Trinity chose to reach us through the flesh of the Word. Well, yes, it can. It's just... This is the language of Pope Francis, not the Trinity. Considering the vast number of heretics he's already spewed, or not heretics, heresies, heresies. that yeah. he's already said, it's our instinct to renounce this. But it's just nonsense. Too. It is. I mean, his yeah. sentences aren't even making sense. He doesn't quote scripture, and he doesn't quote saints. He doesn't even quote past popes. Just some kind of... present coherent ideas. Vague reference to something... St. Francis said, and okay, if we're going to take him at his word, well, he took that to mean worship Mother Earth, and that would explain all the terrible, evil things he's been doing. So, yeah, yeah, it can be renounced, and I'm renouncing it. It is rather a question of recovering the capacity to use and understand the symbols of liturgy. Hey, Give us back our symbols so that we can... Yeah, give, give us the mass back. Heaven yeah. sakes, wow. There he is again, and therefore the earth is flat. Yeah. Uh, we must not lose hope, because this dimension is in us. As I have said, it is constitutive, and despite the evils of materialism and spiritualism, both of them negations of the body and of soul, 
It is of always unity of body and unity soul. of body and soul. It is always ready to reemerge, as is every truth. Hey, yeah, it will reemerge as soon as we find a pope who doesn't spout heresy. All of this stuff will come out. <laughs> let's us have the mass back <laughs> as soon as Pope Francis is gone. So, yeah. So the question I want to pose is: How can we become one again, once again, capable of symbols? How can we again know how to read them and be able to live them? Oh, uh, 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 I'll raise my hand in class and answer the TLM. Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, if you want to give us symbols and, and that's how to do it, because you'll, and again, this is what you would describe before as the sense of mystery. Yeah, he goes through all of this stuff. I mean, a lot of it drivel and and stupid nonsense. But to the extent that any of it is meaningful that he's talking about here, this is exactly what the sense of mystery is that people who use that phrase as something lost when, when the Novus Ordo was introduced, this is exactly what they're talking about. And and that for that somebody to, on the one hand, attack this idea of a sense of mystery and then put all this language into symbolism yeah. when it's the same doggone thing. Yeah. It's just, it's disheartening and it's laughable. Um, you know, in paragraph 46, he says, above all, we must reacquire confidence about creation. All right. Um, what does that mean? I, I don't even know. What I can only means. guess I, I, I what had, this means, but to the... say that we don't have confidence—I have great confidence in creation. That's why I don't worry about things like COVID. Yeah, this man right. shut well, down I have the Easter mass. In creation. I will die when God is ready for me to die, not a moment before. And when He's ready for me to die, I will not prolong my life a moment further. That's the reality. That's the confidence I have in things. Yeah, in he, creation. He doesn't have any confidence in creation or the creator because he thinks we got to do things like stop eating meat or else the planet's going to die. <laughs> yeah. So stupid. Um yeah, to to him they are oriented and by him they have been assumed and assumed in a particular way in the incarnation. Um so that they become instruments of salvation, vehicles of the Holy Spirit, channels of grace. This is third grade theology. Yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, a sacrament is an outward sign. It's by Christ to give grace. Blah, blah, yeah. Blah, yeah. It, Sacraments, you, you need the right matter and form, blah, blah, blah. None of this tells us why our bishops took away our symbols. Yeah. None of it says why why the the mass was vandalized. Yeah. And then he goes through more, more wordy, wordy poetry that has no meaning. It's like looking at out in an 47. ocean, uh, but it's only an inch deep. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Still thinking about the litur- how the liturgy forms us. Another decisive question is the education necessary to be able to acquire the interior attitude that will let us use and understand liturgical symbols. Okay, it doesn't take much. You don't need... As a matter of fact, children kind of do it by nature. They grasp it yeah. really quickly. I think even All you got to do is point them at the right symbols. 
if even you a get it. five-year-old could recognize the picture of a flame to mean that uh, you're not supposed to touch that. And I think by five years old, they recognize the difference between the men's bathroom and the women's bathroom. These yeah, are symbols. The symbol, the skirt is the symbol for female. They get that. They know symbols. Symbols are easy. Yeah. This is, uh, okay, but, you know, Pope Francis creates new symbols and says, you got to learn to understand that the body is the symbol of the soul. Well, it's not. You're just creating crap and then saying they symbolize each other. You're not, you're not offering us symbols. You took our symbols. Uh, let me express it in a simple way. I don't think he could do this. Um, <laughs> he, he goes on, he, he talks about teaching a I child, parents, or even more grandparents, but also our pastors and catechists. Let me express it in a simple way. I have in mind people who teach kids. He already taught. He's just like I don't know. He's like he's like this. Often reads like one of those essays that you had to write in in fifth grade, and the teacher said it has to be five hundred words. And you're counting your words. Yeah. 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 Or getting paid by the word and be like, well, how can I stretch this out and <laughs> yeah, get a couple a bucks more? Exactly. <laughs> uh, words accompany the movement. These also said slowly, almost as if wanting to take possession of every instinct, instant of the gesture. What the hell does that mean? Of every instant of the gesture. To um, take possession of the whole body. Huh? From that moment forward, that gesture, it's symbolic force. He's talking about when you teach a child oh, take, to make the, the sign of the cross. Yeah. From that moment forward, the gesture, it's symbolic force, is ours. It belongs to us, or better said, we belong to it. It gives us form. Is he saying that a habit somehow magically gives meaning to the symbol? I, I don't know. It sounds like he's just saying, hey, yeah, the, the sign of a cross is a good example of symbols that we teach kids. And yes, it is. You know, with the, the, we trace the cross on ourselves. It's a symbol of the real cross. At the same time, we invoke the Holy Trinity. And, you know, so there's a, a symbolism there of, of the cross being a participation in the interior life of the Trinity and, and so on and so forth. But um, so what? I mean, yeah. we, we all get that. We all get that we teach kids to pray and that they express things symbolically. But they don't this know that like, until they begin to question it and start to read or ask about it. It's knowledge you know, this, that gives this, it significance. This, this is a, a, this, this actually brings something, um, um, something up recently that I saw. I was, I was um, out of town. Uh, I think it was going up to Michigan, taking my um, sister-in-law uh, up there to be buried. And, we stopped at a church for mass and inside the church, you know, I, you know, I found my pew and I sat down and it was one of those nice churches, uh, that I was just like, you know, getting ready to, to cringe. Cause I was sure it was going to be one of those very novi parishes where a nice church, you feel like it's kind of wasted. Um, well, a woman came in and she's got her kids with her and everything. And, and this is exactly typical of the Novus Ordo um, and of the failure within the Novus Ordo mentality to convey 
to children the symbolism and what is real that the symbolism points at. These that she had her children come in, they all line up. There's like four of them, and of course, you know, what do you do when you take your kids to mass from a very young age? You teach them, okay, everybody, you got to genuflect before you get in the queue. You genuflect. Where do you genuflect? You look for the tabernacle light. Hopefully, there's a, a nice altar with a tabernacle right there, and it's super obvious, and, and you know, no mistaking it. Uh, if you don't see it, at least the habit is that you genuflect towards that end of the church where it would be, because that's where you expect it to be. So, you know, often people, without thinking, will just genuflect in that direction. Get it? Yeah. Every one of these four kids, like genuflected, like towards the pew they were getting into and then got in. How old were these kids? Uh, the oldest one was probably like in the nine-year-old, ten-year-old range. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, okay, Pope Francis is giving this this extremely uh, stupid, asinine example of parents teaching their children to pray, which we all do as parents. We've all done, you know, you and I have done as parents. We've mm-hmm. done it many times over. Um, and, and how that enters into the child's understanding of symbolism. But I know what the Novus Ordo does to that. It utterly destroys it. Those kids being raised in the Novus Ordo mentality never got this idea of the symbolism of genuflecting as to a king. And where is the king? He's up there on the altar because... The bread is that that we we see with our eyes what what we perceive as bread is merely symbolic because there's not any bread there. It's actually Jesus Christ our King and is reserved in the tabernacle. And you know, we were taught this by first grade. We yeah. knew all of this by first grade. We know why you genuflect and that you genuflect towards the tabernacle and who's there and and that it is a who and not a what and everything. We understood all this by first first grade, even though we weren't allowed to receive communion till second grade. Yeah, but these, you know, third, fourth, fifth graders don't get that now because of the whole Novus Ordo mentality that was destroyed. Now you go into a mass that does the TLM, and you see people not only genuflecting as they get into and out of pews, but often when they first enter the church. And I've actually taken to doing this at my church. You know, even if I go to a Novus Ordo church, I'll do this now because it, it I, still I makes sense. I have not seen that. When you first go into the church, sometimes at these traditional churches, you see people genuflect before they go anywhere else in the church. Why? Because who's the most important person in that church? God himself right there at the tabernacle. Yeah. So I'm going to acknowledge him first and then figure out where else I'm going to go. Yeah. It's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. I said, last, I don't know, sometime within the past couple weeks, um, I, you know, sitting there waiting for Mass to begin, and a little family walked in, and the kids one by one genuflected. But it was the cutest thing because this little girl who wasn't even two years old is is trying to perfect this gesture. Um <laughs> But mm-hmm. the parent, the parent guided them. It wasn't just that they were doing the gesture. The parent even pointed out, "You face that way," and pointed to the tabernacle because that's right. what you're genuflecting to. Um, 
and you're right. That's not put into the minds of kids anymore. No. Um, the, it was a to huge be a failure. Symbol, you've got to know what it, what the reality is that underlies the symbol. It can't be just, here's a symbol, make of it what you will. And that brings us to our next sentence here. He says, we are formed by it. Not many discourses are needed here. It is not necessary to have understood everything in the gesture. That's... Well, it is kind of. It's like, oh. I mean, at least... To him, that's the secret of the cross. Not that we understand it. We do it out of habit because it's ungodly to ask for meaning in Pope Francis' world. The (laughs) Yeah. The man or the boy who asks why and how is violating the symbol, and we ought to adopt the practice without study. And there's the problem and our real objections. There's his objections to the Tridentine Mass because it invites mm. too many questions. It asks why do you do that? Yeah, yeah. Every man to dig exactly. deeper, and it calls on us to feed off of that knowledge and the unquestionable unquenchable search thirst for knowledge which is the so understanding of god that, and the man when when pope francis says that we need to learn symbols again i i i am this thought just occurred to me i am beginning to suspect that what he actually means is that we need to learn how to accept and use symbols without ever pursuing or questioning or understanding what they symbolize. I think so. I think so. Because he said, you know, it's like if you, most kids, when the sim, when these gestures are done reverently, which they are not in the Novus Ordo, for the most part, uh, it any boy who sees this is said, why are they kneeling to that? Why can't I touch that? And what makes yeah. that bread more better yeah. than the bread in my cereal bowl? And why are we all silent except for these bells? And why is that man dressed funny? But in the Novus Ordo, there's, you know, a guy in a t-shirt handing out communion and the kid is only taught to bow, nod his head a little bit, like saying hello. So many distractions for the kid to wonder at any of these things. and, And I think this is what he's against because man naturally will question these things. And he doesn't want that. If there's less to question, well, you know, just do the symbol and that's all. You'll learn everything just by doing the symbol. That seems to be what he's saying here. That certainly certainly fits everything that he's getting out of this. Um, I, I mean, every, everything that he's taking out of this. Yeah. You know. What is needed mm-hmm. is being small, both in consigning and in receiving it. The rest of the work is the spirit. And this way we are initiated into symbolic language. We cannot let ourselves be robbed of such richness. Yet we can't let ourselves be robbed. We got to fight and get our symbols back. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because the other end of that is intellectual laziness, which seems to be what he uh, not only condones, but what what he practices. Uh, you know, our, our kids have to grow up to be men and our girls into women so that they can keep that torch lit. And even if he bans the TLM altogether, we have to continue to keep, teach them these symbols that he's trying to crush. 
Yeah, oh, we can't let ourselves be robbed of such richness. He's right. All right. Uh, we go down to... New section. The Art of Celebrating. Ars Celebrandi. Okay, it looks like I started writing a note here, and I kind of left off because I think I got... I, I'm, I'm not sure I'm able to put this into words. He talks about the art of celebrating... Sometimes mm-hmm. it's just to describe the way that you celebrate, like how maybe yeah, how slowly the, the, or the habit of tempo and stuff like that. Celebrating. But in other it. ways, he kind of acts like it's an art, like mm-hmm. like I uh, like ice skating. You know, something that you you. I don't think he understands that art is self-expression. Art is not doing what you're told to do. Art is self-expression. And sometimes he talks about it as if it's art, and sometimes he talks about it simply as it's the actions that were told to them. But I don't... He's not real clear what he's sometimes saying here. Sometimes art, and sometimes he talks about it as though it's mere act. Yeah. And I don't the, the, think he knows the difference. Yeah. Um... He says, this expression is subject to different interpretations. Uh, he's, he's talking about the liturgy and the things that we do as the art of celebrating. Um, I don't, I know that celebrating Mass is, is kind of the new way of describing it. I don't like it. I mean, okay, we celebrate, but was Jesus celebrating at the Last Supper? I yeah, think the celebration is more reserved for the church triumphant. The way we at least use the word celebration in modern our modern sense doesn't yeah. really fit with the mass. Right. We you know, the priest says the mass. He confects the mass. He presents the mass. He, I think he, these know, are better ways of saying it. But okay, this is the way that a lot of people have chosen to say it. So um, he says um, it, its sense becomes clear if we refer to the theological sense of the liturgy described in Sacrosanctum Concilium, to which I have already referred several times. Well, he might yeah. have referred to it, but, he's, know, but he seems to think that that document is claiming that the knowledge will come directly from the right, as if when people practice the right, they will somehow magically be given the knowledge. You know, I I know there are miraculous instances where um, people receive knowledge from God, but we shouldn't expect that to happen. We shouldn't do away with the learning just because it has happened in the past. And that seems to be, if you just celebrate it, then you'll be formed. And... In a sense, that's true, because the Mass is there to feed us and to nourish our fortitude, our perseverance, our obedience, our chastity, charity. Those are the fruits, and and they're not vague, though. And he just seems to think that that we're going to get something more concrete from the celebration. If you want to learn about it, you got to pick up a book. And then read and find out. Or attend uh, lectures or listen to podcasts these days or whatever. Yeah. But 
Yeah. But if you just go to mass once a week, that doesn't really help you become it. It doesn't help you understand the liturgy. Number one. Number but two. I'll tell you what? I don't think it you, helps you. If you sit and listen to the mass, I mean, in the Nova Sorta, there's no difference between listening and and reading it. But if you read the prayers of the traditional mass and and have nothing else to go on. But the prayers of the traditional mass, you know, let's that take does, one case. Yeah. The prayers of the Novus Ordo mass on the other case. So man A and man B. Man A has the traditional mass prayers. Man B has the Novus Ordo prayers. Just reflecting on those and nothing else and digging into those and thinking about those. Man A with the, the traditional mass is going to hit it a lot closer than man B. Certainly. But what's more to the is that... Man A is going to thirst for more of the knowledge. Yeah. He He's going to want to know more. He'll, he'll start listening to podcasts. But if you just go to Mass every week and that's all you do, you're not going to become a very good Christian. A lot of people do that and then go to work and forget about it. And it, even, it, even if they don't forget about it, they never learn very much to begin with. So uh, this, the way he says this is... That is not what Sacrosanctum Concilium describes. Yeah. That's not what it says. So, uh, the right is in itself a norm, and the norm never an end in itself, but it is always at the service of a higher reality that it means to protect. You know, that's an interesting thing, because even in this paragraph, he says, on the one hand, he says, okay, the, the art of celebrating which is a dumb phrase and we don't like it, cannot be reduced to just a rubrical mechanism. But he also says it cannot be just imaginative creativity without rules. Well, okay, yeah, it can. Actually, it shouldn't be any creativity even with rules Yeah, <laughs> on the part of the celebrant or on the part of the people. But... He says the right is in itself a norm. The norm is never an end in itself, always at the service of a higher reality that it means to put Well, that's exactly what the TLM like exudes is, is that truth. Everything in the TLM is at the service of, of that higher reality that the mass really is the act of Christ offering himself to the father. Yeah. It's in the Novus Ordo that, that everything in it seems to be at the service of a lower reality instead of a higher reality. The lower reality is, oh, my chance to shine. I get my five minutes at the microphone. I get to play, you know, the organ or the piano. I get to show how good my singing is or whatever. It's all the, the, everything is at the service of the lower realities in the Novus Ordo Mass. Yeah. Uh, give me one second here. I want to, he says, where, where were we? We were at, uh, we just finished, I think, paragraph 48. Okay. As in any art, the art of celebrating requires different kinds of knowledge. Well, it, we've already agreed that it shouldn't be an art of celebrating the mass. Right. In fact, it shouldn't be an art of all, at all, except in the sense that it's an art perfected by the entire church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, which it was for 2,000 years. 
But it shouldn't be an art at all. It should be an act. It should be a very careful act. And a act taken with care to reproduce exactly what the church has set forth. Yeah. Um, there's also the fact that the things that he describes that are necessary... I mean, he he's calling it necessary, but it's it's not necessary. St. Thomas Aquinas talks about that, the fact that the validity of a sacrament um, only... the man only need the the minister only needs to say the words and to intend to do what the church does. He doesn't That's necessarily the of the need... sacramental economy. Yeah, someone who's pretty stupid, who has no understanding of... Uh, who has no real sense of abstract can do this can say a mass if he's right um he a, says it is a priest the pope says then it is necessary to know how the holy spirit acts in every celebration absolutely false yeah it's not necessary to know that it's necessary to reproduce the words that the church provided for the completion of that celebration if you want to call it a celebration or for the confecting of that mass or the confecting of that sacrament. That's yeah. what's necessary. <clears throat> yeah. Um, it says the art of celebrating must be in harmony with the action of the Spirit. Well, how do you do that? By saying the words that the church gave you. That's that, how you put the celebration in harmony. Yeah, there's the no, the there Spirit. doesn't need to necessarily be any kind of disposition of mind uh, as far as as far as what the mass does now maybe if as far as your own personal benefit from it yeah okay but as far as saying the mass all of this is hogwash um he says okay it it, it requires understanding of diamondism that unfolds throughout the through the liturgy no it doesn't no not uh, at all. the action of celebration is the place in which by means of memorial the Paschal mystery is made present so that the baptized, through their participation, can experience it in their own lives. Taken word by word, this is correct. Uh, but I just point out there that the participation of the faithful is how we experience it, not through the reception of the Eucharist. The action of celebration is the saying of Mass. I don't know why he has to call it the action of celebration. I I don't know what the action of celebration. Yeah. When he says the mass, mass, mass is where the Paschal mystery is made present, so that we can participate through Holy Communion. Yeah, and without this understanding, the celebration easily falls into a preoccupation with the exterior or a concern only for the rubrics. Neither of those would invalidate the mass, and it wouldn't make the mass any and, better or worse for the uh, laity. Yeah, and in fact. Um, that's why the rubrics are so important because the rubrics are what protect the laity and their, the, the baptized laity's right to a valid mass from the, 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 uh, uh you know, from the incredible, uh, I'm just the, the celebrant himself that, you know, his, his various, you know, he may be thinking about this thing or that thing, or he may be a bad guy in in 
the, you know, backstage, so to speak, right. or whatever. But the lady are protected from all that by the rubrics of the mass itself. So a concern so only for the rubrics is actually not a bad thing. I mean, no, not for the laity anyway. It doesn't hurt. As a matter of fact, it helps us because then we know that he's not going to screw it up. If he ignores the rubrics, well, that one's screwed up. Then we don't up. know. So, then well, we, okay, well, was, geez, might be a, a mass, mass, might not. Did, did I go to, do I have to go again? If he says the word, wrong words of consecration, well, then it's not a mass, is it? And if he does things backwards, it's like, okay, maybe that was a valid Eucharist, but I don't know if that was a valid Mass. Right. Yeah, uh, only in this way will it be free from the invasion of cultural elements that are taken on without discernment and have nothing to do with a correct understanding of enculturation. Yeah, I don't know what a correct understanding of enculturation is, but yeah, duh, the TLM is how you perfect or prevent prevent the invasion of cultural elements yeah and how you prevent subjectivisms like the subjectivism of the priest who wants to make it into his own cult of personality yeah and that's that's been why that's why we love the tlm because we've got a really we got a lot of bad priests and bad bishops right now and it's harder for them to screw up the mass at the tlm uh, finally, it is necessary to understand the dynamics of symbolic language, its particular nef- nature, its efficacy. No, it isn't. Yeah, that's dumb. Um, let's see. From these... Okay, he, he starts talking about more about the art of celebration. And I, I just point out that Mance is not an art. And, and the way he says it here, because he compares it to art, he says... A true artist does not possess an art, but rather is possessed by it. That's just poetic right. drivel. But yeah, I, if we want like, to take that at its word, well, then the mass is not an art. I, I mean, art, he's wrong here about the artist. The artist uses art to express himself. That's what an artist does. Yeah, that's so what you can't for. Put mass in here. If you're going to use some kind of analogy, it breaks down very quickly because, uh, it, in this case, the analogy is just nonsense. Um, because the priest is not expressing anything of himself, he's becoming Christ and he acts as Christ, not as himself. An artist always acts as himself. As a matter of mm-hmm. fact, when he doesn't, uh, he's called a sellout, you know? Because he's acting for some corporate interest or whatever. Right. It's like selling his, his art and he's not being true to himself. So, I don't know. Uh, he goes into a pretty long here. Let's see, where are we? We're at right before 51. Uh, oh, okay. We must understand how deeply we remain entrenched in individualism and subjectivism how unaccustomed we have become to the demands of the great, and how small the perimeters of our religious living are. We must regain the sense for the great style of praying, the will towards the existential in prayer, too. The way to achieve this, though, is through discipline, through giving up weak sentimentality, through serious work carried out in obedience to the church on our religious being and acting. Well, huh. to the extent that that's 
True, and I think there's, I think with a few, like, changes of phrasing, that could be very true, but, but that just kind of screams TLM. It sure does. Like, yeah, the TLM is the great style of praying. Right. It, and, and it's in the Novus Ordo. The Novus Ordo has become small and pedestrian. That, it, it made the mass into something small and pedestrian. It sure did. Uh, everybody doing together the same gesture, everyone speaking together in one voice. This transmits to each individual the energy of the entire assembly. Yeah, I don't like that at all. That's in, we're at 51. Oh, okay. That's your comment there. Did I have a comment there? Oh, line uh, 51. It was so light I didn't notice. Oh, yeah, I said this is just dumb. <laughs> Yeah, we we don't come to have the energy of the entire assembly transmitted to us. We come to to eat the body and blood of Jesus, so that we can participate with Him in His eternal act of sacrifice to the Father. We enter into God. Yeah, we do it as an assembly, but the energy that matters is the energy of grace transmitted to the assembly through the ministerial work of the priest who acts in the person of Christ. Yeah, this is he has this this whole orientation all wrong in this paragraph. And the way he says it, it's more like the spiritualism that he was talking about earlier and condemning earlier, where it's like, oh, we got to get each other's energy and things like that. That's, yeah, it's dumb. Yeah. It's stupid he to talk about, about that He even says, like, the opening sentence, speaking of this theme, we are inclined to think of it only in regards to ordained ministers carrying out the service of presiding i think that's almost how he thinks of priests they perform the service of presiding well that's very different than what is really going on with a priest during the mass because during the mass he acts in the person of christ he's an altar christus and another christ offering himself to the father making visible to us symbolically that very same sacrifice so that we can participate in it yeah Okay, it it is a uniformity that does not only that not only does not deaden, but on the contrary educates individual believers to discover the authentic uniqueness of their personalities, not in individualistic attitudes, but in awareness of being one body. <laughs> the awareness okay. of being one body. I I, I guess the awareness. I looked of through this being one with Christ. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I looked all over for this, what he's talking about here, but <clears throat> I couldn't find a place where this is really part of the church's teachings or addressed by any of the saints. I mean, there's, like you said, there's an understanding that we are part of one body, but it's the body of Christ, and it's Christ is who unites us. Pope Francis is kind of like giving it depth to the under, giving depth to the understanding that just doesn't exist. We don't follow the rubrics to become one with each other. We do it, it, it is a symbol of our unity, but it's important that all Christians all over the world do the same thing in the same way, and that's what signifies the unity of Christ's body. But since yeah. that's over now, since we don't do that anymore... We don't that do the unity same thing. Isn't really expressed very yeah. well. <laughs> we don't say the same words, and the 
body of Christ is a teaching that doesn't have any authentic symbology. There's nothing a Spanish man that a man from Spain goes into uh, an Italian mass. All the sameness is gone. The sign is gone. All that's left is the reality of that body. But the symbol of it is gone because they took it away in the uh, Novus Ordo. And they continue to chip away at it by making the Novus Ordos more different from each other. Um, and Pope Francis, he's got it backwards. He's trying to create a feeling of oneness just by telling people we are one and then acting as though we won't be one without the uniformity, which he's trying to destroy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so, you know, when we threw away that 2,000-year-old right, uh those who are inside and outside the church saw that uniformity as a sign of our unity, but he wants the uniformity gone. And then so he can pontificate about the similarities now seen in the Novus Ordos, but those similarities are nothing like the unity that once existed. It, this whole paragraph is schizophrenic. It's well, not it's only just, that, but uh, even more, um, I would say um, insidious about this is that he seems to be focused on the the unity of the assembly. Yeah. Coming together as a parish to perform a mass. And he's putting that forward at the expense at the real unity of the entirety of the church, not just throughout the world, but throughout the ages. And how the Mass expresses that. In other words, the unity that he's talking about here, and that he seems to be so interested in here, is a, a very small-minded sort of unity. Yeah. It's actually a fractious kind of unity. Almost a heretical uh, kind of yeah. unity. Because it, it doesn't... It's not the way he's trying to... Uh, it's not the way he's trying to describe it here. Um, it is not a question of following a book of liturgical etiquette. Rather, it's a discipline in a way that Gardini referred to, which, if observed authentically, forms us. But it, it only forms us in that it lets us know why we are united. It, Christ is the dot on the map, and it all revolves around Christ. But if if it's outside of Christ, if the priest is the dot, then we don't have a symbol to form us into one. The symbol yeah, is gone. Unity and, anyway. and, we not, and we don't need to be one if Christ is not the center. There's no point in being one. It doesn't help us at all as a church, the way he's talking about it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, these are gestures and words that place order within our interior world, making us live certain feelings, attitudes, behaviors. They are not the explanation of an ideal that we seek to let us inspire us, but they are instead an action that engages the body in its entirety, that is to say, in its being a unity of body and soul. He seems to be living in a fantasy world it's here. just drivel. Yeah, and it's like he hopes that if we all just do the same thing, then we'll understand 
what he's talking about. And we don't have yeah, to learn his, anymore from books and and His best and buds directives. in the church are the ones who don't want to all do the same thing. Yeah. Oh, although, it, again, he he doesn't care about globally. He just cares about each assembly. Yeah, that's the thing. Itself. He wants uh, inside that assembly for, and it's it's stupid because that's here's the thing. I he keeps trying to push this, and you know, have you ever talked to like someone who's convinced themselves that something sinful will help you somehow, and um, they get upset because. They're unable to put it in words what they feel. Because what oh. they feel is not only incorrect, but sinful. So, and, and they keep saying, you gotta experience it. You gotta do it. And then you'll understand what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I think that's true. I think what he wants is all of us to jump in with these priests who are, uh, abusing the right. And all of us to forget about this old-fashioned TLM. And then we'll see that the pedophile priests and the gay nuns and the satanic rituals and all the false gods, well, they all make sense now, you know, because we're all as one. I think that's what's happening here. I, I, want that, I don't know. I, I got to wonder because of, I mean, except for the last part, which nobody knew about back then. Yeah, the first the first part of what you just said has already been done. It's already been tried, right? And the result was that everybody longed. They realized how empty it all was, and they longed for the traditional mass. Well, the people who it's, it's cared like he's proposing about, something. Not everyone. That's just it. The people who cared most about God and who were enthusiastic about being Catholic, those are the ones who were drawn to the Novus Ordo. But the people who are, say, who would like to excuse sin, they're not drawn to the Novus, uh, to the Trident. Traditional Mass, you mean. Yeah, I got that backwards. Right. The people who are not drawn to God are drawn to the Novus Ordo. Because it becomes just a practice for them that makes them look good, no matter what they do with the rest of their lives. But we've already figured this out. That's that's the yeah, thing about I know. this. It's it's kind of like you know the old tired thing about socialism. Oh yeah, socialism. You know, Bernie Sanders out there. Hey, Bernie. I mean, why don't you go? You know, read the last ninety years of history in the world. You know, and and quit acting like. You, you don't have three brain cells to rub together and think about it. That's kind of like what this Pope is doing here. Yeah, it's, it's like, like we've already we, seen this. We, this, this is it's this like has already happened. You're you're <laughs> you're stuck in the in the late '60s or something in terms of your knowledge about this stuff, and and it's all you know its ultimate effect where it ultimately goes. He's if, acting if as though we haven't it. tried it yet, and and, exactly. and so, hey, let's do it this way, and it's like well. We did it that way. And are you, do you not? And then he acts like we didn't do it well enough because there's this tiny, tiny 1% of people who insist on holding on to their traditions. And we're the reasons it didn't work yet. That's his thing. You know thinking. what I think? And that's what I he think, said in, in other I think this, this Pope is actually Rip Van Winkle. 
He, he fell asleep yeah. in 1973, and he woke up in 2013. He's been asleep for 40 years. Yeah, and he did, he's like rubbing his hand. Hey, all right, we're going to do this, right? Let's do this. It's like, <laughs> exactly. dude, we already did it. Like. <laughs> it's like, not uh, see how bad a shape we're, we're in now? That, Holy Father. <laughs> it didn't go so well. <laughs> Among the ritual acts that belong to the whole assembly, silence occupies a place of absolute importance. Wow. Imagine well, that. They, yeah. they completely stripped away silence from the Novus Ordo. Yeah. That's why he says many times it is expressly prescribed in the rubrics. What the hell is he talking about? I've not <laughs> seen that. He's talking about... I don't know if it's expressly prescribed, but he, I think people think of silence in the Mass these days as the time between when the person who read the first reading and then he walks back to his pew and oh sits down. Gosh. And then the person... And, and, and you know, during, oh, while he's doing yeah. that... That's that's your silent moment in the new man. Everybody think while I'm waiting for this idiot to get his butt up to the thing and read the next reading. Exactly. Oh my goodness. There's that your drives silence. me nuts. <laughs> or yeah. after the priest sits down. Now it used to be that, you know, we finish a communion song the and, and then the last few moments of like doing the ablutions and clearing the altar. That might have been a little bit silent, then the priest sits down for a few seconds. Now if if the priest isn't sitting down yet, they somehow managed to keep the communion song going. Yeah, they drag the it out forever. Down, and and then they say, oh, okay, the priest is sitting. Let's wrap it up now. So then they wrap it up. And then the priest has to give you some silence time. So there's that uncomfortable, awkward, hmm, I'll just sit here. How long am I supposed to sit here? You know, it's, you it's tell really me built in. <laughs> which of those people are praying during that silence time. And then go to a TLM. And I dare you to find one guy not praying. Not praying, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and they're serious about it too. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying they should. We should all wrap ourselves in a cocoon and block everything out and not pray. It's just that I don't know what silence he's talking about. I, it's yeah, never it's, silent at an Ovis Ordo. It's never. Always, it, you know, you're you're deprived of silence at an Ovis Ordo. I don't. I. Enjoy the low mass more than the high mass, even at the TLM, because I appreciate the silence. <laughs> Me too. But, okay. The entire Eucharistic celebration is immersed in the silence which precedes its beginning and which marks every moment of its ritual unfolding. I don't know what he Again, means. Again, I don't that. know what he means. I have no idea what he's talking about, though. This is like. I, I don't know. Does he mean that we're silent while a priest is saying the Eucharistic prayer out loud, maybe? Is that silence to him? That another person talks instead of you talking? That maybe that maybe that's it. I don't know. It's weird. But it's certainly not silence. I don't most novice or most novies are afraid of silence. Uh in fact, it is presented in the penitential act after the invitation, let us pray. In the so you liturgy say, let of us the pray word. And the priest pauses, and that's your moment of silence? I guess so. <sighs> and, it, and then the rest of this paragraph goes on and talks about this silence. and That doesn't exist. Yeah, it's so weird. It, 
And, and half of his assertions in the paragraph are so wrong that you can't even find a single point to argue with because it's so yeah. stupid. This entire like, paragraph is idiotic. Have you even ever been to a modern mass, Pope Francis? I don't know. It's so weird. Every gesture and every... On, he skips out on mass. That's why he's doing yeah. <laughs> He doesn't know this stuff. He's in the boys' room smoking cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> Every gesture and every word contains a precise action that is always new because it meets with an always new moment in our lives. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You could read this sentence 85 times and 85 times it is new because you never read it at this time in your life. What kind of logic is this? How dumb can this guy get? That's so stupid. That's like the guy, you know, you you can never experience the same river twice or something like that because it's always yeah. different as it flows or something. I, don't I guess. Whatever. But, you know, I mean, the, even the Chinese proverbs are actually more meaningful than this drivel that he's writing. Yeah, because a, a river will do some incredible he things actually on different of, days. Yeah, the river but, thing is actually kind of true in a way that this is just stupid. Yeah, it's dumb. Well... He's going to explain. I will explain <laughs> what I mean with a simple example. We ask to pardon. We kneel to pardon. Or wait a minute. Let's start we over here. Kneel to ask to pardon. ask pardon to bend our pride to hand over God to God our tears to beg His intervention to thank Him for a gift received. Well, okay, I, I kneel out of a sign of respect and a sign of worship. I mean, penance penance is part of it. But it's not the whole. We kneel to God because it's what God wants. He demands it. That's why we kneel. But whatever. It is always the same gesture, which in essence declares our own being small in the presence of God. Okay. Nevertheless, done in different moments of our lives, it molds our inner depths and thereafter shows itself externally in our relationship with God and with our brothers and sisters, I, it does what, not show. What is he talking about? It does not show itself externally in our relationship with our brothers and sisters. I don't know what and he's what talking about. What does it about. even have to do? That's what does dumb. all that have to do with his first point? He said, "I will explain what I mean with a simple example." Is yeah, I know. Doesn't have anything to do with it. It's like okay, if you like, uh, I'm kneeling to Sunday, ask you start today for. A different set of sins this week, and that's why it's a new event. It's kind of like this, uh, you know. Like I remember, Mister Juiceman, the old man. Mm-hmm. You know, he would start talking. He'd say, "Oh yeah, I love the banjo," because I was playing the banjo once, and he came in. He's like, "I love the banjo." I'll tell you the story. Uh, there was there was a boy down the street from us. Uh, his name was Robert or Jason. Something like that, but he he drove a he drove a Cadillac, and uh, boy, we used to go driving in that Cadillac. It was so fun. I think that's what's happening here. <laughs> I think he lost it. <laughs> this is even know where this is, is the rambling mind. <laughs> also, kneeling should be done with art. Done with art. What is that? I, mean? I, again, an artist is self-expression. With a full awareness of its symbolic sense and the need that we have of this gesture, 
to express our way of being in the presence of God. Kneeling expresses our way of being in the presence of presence God. Of the Lord. How is this different at different parts of, of our lives? The presence of, I don't even know what that means. That is a nonsensical phrase. He's just trying to be philosophical. I'm sorry, Pope Francis. You can't pull it off. You just don't have the brain power it takes to be philosophical. Get off it. I don't think he's doing that. I think he's padding his words. Okay, he could be doing that. He's got to do the essay. And if all this is true for this simple gesture, how much more will it be for the celebration of word, of the word? If all what's true, oh, that we kneel different times gesture. of our lives? It, it's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. All this worthy of utmost attention, not formal or merely exterior, but living in interior, so that every gesture and every word of the celebration expressed with art forms the Christian personality of each individual and of the community. This, what is he But the problem about? is it doesn't happen. Go to Novus Ordo and see... Uh, okay, here's the thing. You go to the Novus Ordo, there are always a few people there who are really serious about their faith. And you'll see them put more and more of themselves into these gestures. like Gestures that they themselves don't even understand because if they did, they wouldn't be doing them. Right. But I mean, I no, okay, but something like, like genuflecting, I mean. You'll okay, see, yeah, 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 yeah. You'll see right. a guy, as he grows in his faith, be more and more, uh, I don't know, deliberate, dramatic say, and deliberate right, in his genuflection. genuflection. Yeah. Um, but the thing is that what they're doing is licking at puddles because they haven't seen the river they could be swimming in at the Tridentine Mass. Yeah, and the men sure. at the Tridentine Mass generally don't fall into this thing where they have to make each gesture more and more dramatic. You know, oh, right, because right, right. they they're in full participation with the right that they know is pleasing to God. They don't have to make it more dramatic. It's already what it is, and it's uh, it's all they can do to just take it in. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I just I I noticed that a couple weeks ago, as as you know, watching one of my friends. Um, genuflect and the way he genuflected and the way he did it different than most people and i have no problem with that and it's not a criticism it's just that he is so hungry for these symbols to take on real meaning which they never will do in the novus order and yeah. i know that he would get so much out of the tlm and i wish i could get him there at least once and I think I think it would feed something that he hungers for. And I think that with all the when you see people get really serious about these gestures, I I wish I could just get them there a couple times. Mm -hmm. They would they would start drinking instead of tasting. Yeah. All right. If it is true that the art of celebration is required of the entire assembly assembly that celebrates, well, it's not. It is likewise true that ordained ministers must have a very particular concern for it. Well, they must not. Well, yeah. That's not I mean, part of it. It's good that they do. Good for them. Yeah. 
But the but church has taken care of that. Right. That's that was the that was why it was so great. And and even ones who didn't have any kind of concern for it, as long as they intended to do what the church did, it was valid. And it fed us all is, regardless. This next sentence is weird. Go ahead and read this. In visiting Christian communities, I have noticed that their way of living the liturgical celebration is conditioned, for better or worse, or unfortunately for worse, by the way in which their pastor presides in the assembly. Why should that be? That didn't used to be that way. It used to be that the way of living the liturgical celebration was conditioned on how well you understood what you were doing when you went to Mass, and how open you were to the graces of Mass, and how disposed you were to the grace of the sacrament of communion. And it didn't have anything at all to do with how the priest said the mass because every priest said it the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just, he just gave a damning indictment of the Novus Ordo right here in that one sentence. Yeah. And you know, I gotta say, you, he, he is in a sense, right. And it's a shame because now this entire church struggles with this condition. Yeah. Because of the way our popes preside. You know, if we had a good pope, maybe, uh, it would, uh, it would help us in living our liturgical celebration. But we don't have a different pope. We have Pope Francis. Uh, we could say that there are different models of presiding. Here is a possible list of approaches which, even though opposed to each other, characterize a way of presiding that is certainly inadequate. The first one he reads, rigid austerity. Doesn't he love that word? (laughs) He loves rigid, doesn't he? (laughs) I'd like to know what the hell rigid means. What is rigid austerity? Who who was rigid? Uh, St. Augustine? St. Augustine was rigid. St. Justin? The martyr, uh, Peter and Paul, very rigid. <laughs> you know what? Saint Saint Francis was kind of rigid too. Oh, Saint Francis was very rigid. <laughs> he was pretty dunk on stiff. They, as a matter of fact, he had to be his rule had to be rewritten because most men couldn't keep up with it. Most men could not live the way he wanted them to live. They had nope. to rewrite it so that more men could, could deal with it. Become, yeah, Franciscan mendicants or whatever. <laughs> uh, he, uh, Pope Francis had no idea how rigid St. Francis was. Yeah. Uh, but whatever. Um, or an ex- And then he goes through a whole bunch of... He's, he's presenting uh, opposites here. So rigid... Rigid austerity or exasperating creativity. Well, you know what? I don't know why rigid austerity is a problem. It's not. It's <laughs> if it not. means that you actually get the mass every time you go to mass. Yeah, and that's all that we need. Um, it's great to have a good priest who who maybe does more, but rigid austerity or um, rigid austerity is is just fine. And uh, other than maybe how he does the sermon, I don't want him to do more. Yeah, I don't. I don't either. I mean, I. Yeah, and, and here's the thing: you could not explain why. You would have a hard time explaining why to someone who hasn't been to a TLM. 
Yeah, that's true. You know what I mean? If they don't see the way it functions, the way it flows, and the way the priest almost becomes in, not even a part of it. into yeah. his role as, as the, the altar Christus. Someone who doesn't go to the TLM would not quite understand the words we're saying. But mm-hmm. he goes through a lot of... I he, Again, he's trying to practical functionalism. What the hell is practical? I don't know what that even means. Practical. Should functionalism be impractical? Is that? And what is functionalism? Yeah. Uh, Shouldn't something function? In terms of the, especially in terms of the man, he says, spiritualizing mysticism or practical functionalism as a way of opposites? the priest doing his work as a priest. I don't even get what either of those two things mean. You you get up there, you say the words, you do the gestures, you give holy communion to people. What what does practical functionalism mean, and why is that opposed to spiritualizing mysticism? And what is spiritualizing mysticism? Yeah, I tell mean, me this: what good is a mass that doesn't function exactly how it was made to function? Yeah, <laughs> it's no good at all. Granted, the wide range of these examples, which I think he just, he's just padding, like you said. He's just throwing yeah. more words. Instead of saying, uh, you know, rigidness, he says rigid austerity. Instead of mm-hmm. uh, create creativeness, I don't even know what you would call that. I, I guess what, yeah, what I, really it is, is people putting stuff in the mass that doesn't belong the, there. Yeah, or changing he the calls words. It, exasperating creativity. Well, it's not really creativity. It's it's messing with something you shouldn't be is, messed with. Is there some like middle way between sticking to the words as they are and changing the words at all? No, there's like, not. That That's what's where he acts like there's some kind of middle ground between that. Yeah, and there's not. Either you do what you were supposed to do or you don't. Granted, the wide range of these examples, I think the that the inadequacy of these models of presiding have a common root, a heightened personalism of the celebrating style, which at times expresses a poorly concealed mania to be the center of attention. Well, I wholeheartedly agree there, and I know what the remedy is. Mm -hmm. Three letters, T-L-M. And all the problems that he describes... Okay. Out of all the problems that he describes... The ones that are actually problems were never problems before the Novus Ordo. Yeah. So, yeah, back to the TLM. Uh, Often this becomes more evident when our celebrations are transmitted over the air or online, uh, something not always opportune and that needs further reflection. Be sure you understand me. These are not the most widespread behaviors, but still, not infrequently, assemblies suffer from being thus abused. They are the most widespread behaviors. But yeah. you know one of the things though is that it's not often a behavior of the priest himself anymore. A lot of times it's the behavior of the band who gets to use the mass as their showcase oh, yeah. platform. Yeah. Hey, and then know, like the mass is, is our ability to do our music thing. And I hate to say this, that happens in the TLM just as much as the... It uh, does, it does. Uh, you get the choir and they did get that super, what's it called, melismatic uh, yeah, chant they, where like like 47 
different notes for the same syllable while they're singing the the uh, secret or something. Yeah, I, it, yeah, it's it's ridiculous when when they do it too. Yeah, um, I, yeah. So you know, I we're two hours in. Should should we make this a four part instead of a three part? <laughs> yeah, I guess we should because I got a lot more here. I have a whole lot more. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we stopped at. That. There's, he he doesn't slow down in, in his nonsense as he gets to the end of this letter. <laughs> yeah, it gets worse and worse as you go on. I'm going to go part four. What part did we stop with? Uh, paragraph 55 is the next one to pick up. Okay. I don't have any comments on that one. I got a bunch but, of them, I think. Let me see. <clears throat> Yeah, I've got like six different comments. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay. 50, 55 is where... No, I have one comment. You do have... Oh, no, I don't. Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll stop there and uh, pick up the rest because it's getting late. So I'm going to take that out of my way and make a little mark here and start talking about the news. All right. Uh, there's a company called Gazprom, and this is a um, this is a Russian majority state owned multinational energy corporation. Uh, they're headquartered in Saint Petersburg, um, and they signed a memorandum of understanding for the development of Iranian oil and gas fields and related infrastructure. Uh, for $40 billion. I don't quite know what that means, but I guess that means that Russia and Iran are entering into energy deals. And Russia and Iran will continue to grow because they have energy while America and Europe shrinks because we are turning down energy. I I okay, wait, hate to again. see the outcome of that. Gazprom signs a memorandum of understanding. understanding for the Department of Iranian Oil and Gas Fields and related infrastructure. I don't. It's like that they're going to get to process the crude oil from there or something. I think that's what this is. Or or, the, or, or these when be they say a part of fields, it. They mean like gasoline or, or is this like natural gas? Either way, uh, probably the same thing. Yeah, oil and gas. Okay. So there's oil and there's probably natural gas as well. Uh, So I I guess the short of this is that Iran and Russia are cooperating with each other because they both have energy and they're going to sell it and use it while the rest of us won't. Russia and Ukraine sign a UN-backed agreement to allow the export of millions of tons of grain from some of the blockaded uh, seaports. So that's good, I guess. They're going to be able to export some grain. Sell grain. Because yeah. uh, we decided in here in America we're not going to grow things anymore because <laughs> uh, Bill Gates bought all the farmland and is letting it go to waste. So we'll get some from Russia or Ukraine or wherever. Um, Okay, I got a bunch of heat waves. Everybody's got this record-setting heat waves. And, you know, the the hottest one here is in Germany at 104. 
We've had 104 for yeah. before. Some of these, I mean, they're making a big deal out of 93 I think they're degrees, not used to it in 90. Europe. I guess not. The thing is, here in America, I have not seen any record setters. Yeah. I mean, I think places like Arizona and Nevada, stuff, I think you get like 110 routinely every summer. Mm-hmm. I have to wonder if, if you were there listening to their news, if they would talk about record-setting temperatures in America. Oh. And they don't do that in America because like... it's like, that's not record-setting. Well, I had that two years ago. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe. I'm just saying that all over Europe they're talking about these dangerous highs, which aren't dangerous, but okay, if you're going to try to claim that this is record-setting, okay, fine. It's never been this hot, which isn't all that hot. But... Why isn't this happening in the rest of the world? Because this is really about about climate control. I I think it's that's what this is all about. Yeah, I think it's Europe trying to 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 fan the control energy, climate control, and 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 government centralization over things like carbon production and stuff like that. Yeah. Um. So. Okay, there's they're talking about the heat wave and the wildfires in Spain and Portugal. And they're saying that the death toll is up to 1,700 people from okay. wildfires and heat wave. I don't know why you would combine those two death tolls. Wildfires and heat wave death toll. They're very different kinds of deaths. There's a big yeah. difference between burning to death... And getting heat stroke because you didn't properly hydrate and stuff like that. Right. And one, well, actually, both are probably very preventable. You know, I wonder if, I wonder if the deal in Europe isn't so much that, oh yeah, record heat. I, gotta, I wonder if it's just that Europeans aren't as habituated as Americans are into drinking water a lot. That could be. And maybe they don't have as much water. I don't know. And maybe there is, uh, there is, England is experiencing its worst drought since 1976. Okay. Well, so maybe that's a part so of it too. Maybe there's just not years. enough water. Maybe water's okay. very expensive right now. I don't know. But they didn't really explain, they didn't separate these two death tolls. So you really don't know what they mean you don't know what's and why they happen. Uh, you know, I, this kind of caught my eye. The U.S. CDC voted unanimously to recommend the COVID-19 vaccine for people over the age of 18 years old. I, what does that mean? The that CDC means to voted me unanimously that like every employee that, that falls well, I guess CDC voted. What does that mean? CDC I guess voted there's unanimously. A, there's a portion of them that vote on these recommendations to decide whether or not they're going to recommend it. But the fact that they're unanimous tells me that there's a big problem. Anytime any government does something unanimously, it's a sham. you know it, it's a sham. Yeah. Like if you go to Russia and say, uh, you know, Putin won 98% of the vote. Well, that's a sham. You know it's a sham because that's right. not how people are. People are different. In America, they're careful not to make it look like a sham by always giving us 49 to 51%, you know? Yeah. 
and because normally that's how things work. But uh, when when the CDC votes unanimously, I'd say watch out. It's it's fake. Uh, the European Commission tells EU member states to reduce gas usage by 15% until March of 2023 as a part of an emergency plan after Putin warned that Russia supplies of natural gas would be reduced further. So Putin says, hey, we're going to cut you guys off of gas. Uh, EU says, everybody stop using gas. <laughs> Which, I don't know. I, again, I, this is all I, fake. Look, we have so much. Biden cut off the gas. Uh, supply in America. Yeah. yeah, he just cut it off. We stopped drilling. We stopped uh, I think, I, yeah. it's, mm-hmm. it's my understanding that he shut down several refineries. Uh, he shut down pipelines. This is on purpose. Um, the monarch butterfly is added by the International Union for Conservation of Nature to its endangered species list. Is that endangered? I mean, I'm I, not aware of a monarch butterfly poaching problem or anything. They're saying that it's from rapidly decreasing population numbers, not necessarily from the total number of population. Uh, wait, I don't know. So what the, it's I don't know what the it's, difference is. It's the decreasing number that they're looking at, not necessarily the number of butterflies that are alive right now. Oh, like it might have gone down from 18 billion down to 13 billion butterflies. But there still might be 13 billion of them out there. And it's just the decrease, so, not the total number. Okay, I see what you're saying. According to what I'm reading here, and I don't, I, 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 I had one uh, when I moved into this house. Uh, buddy was like, "Hey, Dad, look!" And he found on one of his plants like five caterpillars, but they were tiny. They looked smaller mm-hmm. than inchworms. Uh, for the I was like, "Oh, cool!" So we. I caught one. I caught one. I grabbed one of them and put them in a jar with some, uh, uh, what do you call it, leaves and stuff. Twigs and and just, yeah. yeah, it ate it, and then it formed a cocoon. Not a cocoon. There's, there's a different yeah, word for them. Those chrysalis. Isn't it? Oh yeah. But isn't that a and, cocoon uh, basically? Yeah. And then and then it hatched and and flew away. I got pictures and videos and stuff like that. Was it, it a monarch? Neat. Yeah. Oh wow! Cool. They, they the the uh, caterpillars are uh, you know bright and uh, yellowy, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was just because it was tiny, and then it grew and grew, and then I came down one day, and it was in a uh, cocoon, and then uh, a couple weeks later, it was coming out. So I I don't think they're really that endangered, but if they are. I mean, what's the point of putting them on an endangered species list? Is this... I'll tell you what this is. Those few farmers who are continuing to grow food and use insecticide so that they can grow food better, I'll bet they're going to be told, you can't use insecticides. You have to let the insects destroy your crops. I'll oh, bet wow. this is what it's That's about. That's what this is all about. I would bet anything. Put the that's insects what this on the endangered about. species list now they can't use insecticides on their yep. crops. And Bill Gates, who already owns half the farmland, will continue to not grow. 
that combined with the with the destroyed crops means Americans get less food. I I can't help seeing all of this in that light. Yeah. I mean, it's happening, people. Go to your grocery store. Look at the empty shelves. It's happening on purpose. And we were told two years ago this is what was going to happen by people like Alex Jones. And look at it. He's right. It's happening. So, uh, first, the first cases of monkeypox in children in the United States are reported. Where? What part of the U.S.? One was California. I don't know what the other one was, but guess what the parents were. Seriously? Yep. Gay men. Well, I don't know about the parents. The well, okay, I know yeah, one of them the was guys, the people with the kids, right? One of them was with had gay parents. The other one, it just says that they were traced back to individuals who come from the men who have sex with men community. In other words, the gay community gay parents. Yeah. So I don't know the monkeypox. Now they're going to give us monkeypox. Yeah, and they're but they're trying to they're they're doing the same thing they did with AIDS. They're trying so to make us all scared of it. Yeah, and make it look like you could get it when you can't. The monkeypox outbreak is declared a public health emergency of international concern by the World Health Organization. Ah, uh, it's, it's BS. This is this is leading somewhere bad, and we all know it. Yep. This is they're going to try to do what they were unable to do with COVID. Uh, South Korea announces that it will lift its ban on public access to North Korean television newspapers and other media. I didn't know that existed, but I find it interesting that it did exist. Because South Korea is supposed to be the free one. It is. So why would they cut off access to North Korean uh, media? That's dumb. I, I just... Unless there's too many, if they feel like there's too many people in South Korea that are on the verge of, say, radicalization, like communist radicalization. Because South okay. Korea itself is already a, a, I think it's a basically socialist country, even though it tends to, it? to play very nicely with the West. It tends to be a little bit more uh, socially conservative, certainly, than like China and North Korea. Yeah. Um, and and they have some, you know, thriving companies, LG, Samsung, those were all South Korean companies. But um, I, if if they just feel like too much of their population is close to radicalization, like let's say we felt like, like 30% of our population was close to being radicalized by, say, Islam or something Islam. like that. Yeah. Now, under the American constitutional order, we couldn't do anything about that. But you right. would certainly see in that case a number of people trying to call for ways to stem the tide of, say, uh, Muslim propaganda and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. in, in a situation like that. Well, in, in South Korea, they you know they don't have any constitution that prevents them from doing that. And if they felt like that was a real danger, that might be why they had that going on. I guess so. But this is a decades-long ban. And One that has existed it. for a long time, and now they're lifting it. Lifting it. Which, also, I mean, maybe if it's it feels decades safe. long, I mean, maybe it hails back to, you the, know, the, the, war. the Korean yeah. War. Maybe it's been there since the Korean War. Yeah. 
thousands of indigenous people gather in uh, Alberta, in Canada, to hear an apology from Pope Francis. Oh my gosh, did that happen? What did he actually say and apologize for? I don't know. He's supposed to be apologizing for the past abuse and cultural suppression at Catholic residential schools across Canada. Could this be stupid related to where they found Christian schools uh, with lots of bodies of young Indians? Or something like that. We, the gra- we talked you mean about the graveyard that they uncovered. That was yeah. just a graveyard. Yeah, and they they acted like it was, it was like, like we were mass murder burial ground. It was just a graveyard. Yeah, and it was close to a school where a lot of the indigenous people would go to be assimilated into Western culture. Mm-hmm. Which I don't. I mean, that whole question I think is a lot more. It's not as simple as both right-wingers and left-wingers make it. You know, yeah. I don't think it's as simple, well, we were just the trying to assimilate question them. You but there, there's a lot to that whole thing that uh, if, if you wanted to hear about, uh, we've got a couple episodes where we specif- specifically talk about yeah, Native we, Americans we and Indians. And um, it's a bigger question than... But for Pope Francis to come and uh, ask forgiveness—that's stupid. That's that's Francis there. Yeah. Um, Mexico says it reached an agreement with the U.S. to give a record 356,000 working vis- visas to Mexican citizens to have them come up here and work. All right. This Who? this is BS. So. U.S. and Mexico reached an agreement, and oh we are going to give them uh, almost four hundred, well, three and a half hundred thousand working visas for them to legally set up Mexican citizens to work, despite the millions who are coming across the border on illegally. Without, anyway. Yeah, um, this is bad. This is I, although American let me, let citizens me, have no idea on, how bad. Put, this is. Let me put a different spin on this. Okay. I, I, I mean, I may be giving the Democrats, who I'm sure are behind this, too much credit for this. But we know that this whole the illegal tide is a problem for the Democrats, for the Biden administration. And yet, because he's been so committed to unrolling everything Trump has accomplished... And the wonderful things that Trump has has gotten started, he can't return to simply enforcing the law that exists. Yeah. And yet he knows, and I don't mean he because he himself is just a dotard that... Right. You know, but but the administration knows that they've got to do something about this border problem... Not just as a problem on the border itself, but a problem in America itself with regards to, you know, American concerns about jobs and everything else. So, yeah, what if this program is an attempt to say, okay, without making us look like we've sold out on our pro-immigration stance, let's cut a deal to get a whole bunch of legal immigrants into the country taking jobs, 
to displace the illegal immigrants so that the illegal immigrants will then, I don't know, maybe they hope they'll go back where they came from or something stupid like yeah. that. What if that's what this is about? That could be. Um, okay, but... I don't really believe it, but it's like, I don't, given the whole environment... Here's the problem. Um, here's what some people will look at this and say. They'll say, yeah, I go up the street and every damn building has a uh, help wanted sign in front of it. Mm -hmm. We need workers. So they're going to send us workers. That's great. But it's BS. You go out and try to find those jobs that everybody says they're hiring. It's not as easy as you would think. I've got teenage boys who were looking for sometimes four or five months straight mm -hmm. trying to get employment in entry-level jobs and couldn't get it. And when they did land it, look, the these people who are, quote, hiring are hiring for for very low wages. And it's precisely because they're able to fill them that they don't offer higher wages. Now, I understand that I, I'm not an I economic idiot, and I understand that you can only pay what you make. Yeah. But there is a problem right now with... Okay, let's, let's take someone like Amazon. Um... There's a whole bunch of illegal, illegal workers up here. Generally, Amazon will not hire illegals. You have to have proof of some kind of uh, way to work in America to be working at an Amazon warehouse. Right, okay. But they're losing workers and they need workers. And you can tell because their delivery times are going further and further up, right. you know. It used to be overnight or even same day, and now it's staying two, three days out. Yeah. They're getting less workers. Now, you could say, well, that's because there's not enough workers. But you could also say it's because they're not paying their workers enough. If they paid their workers more, they would have more workers. Workers go where they're paid the most. That's what workers do. They will always do that. So the guy who pays the highest wages, he's going to have the most workers available to him. And the guy who pays little is not only not going to get a lot of workers, but the workers he does have are going to suck. So I don't think we need any more working visas from Mexico or anywhere else. We need to restart our economy the way Trump did and then start working on a better way to get better wages to the uh, at least to the skilled workers. Right now, skilled workers aren't getting crap. I'm talking about bricklayers, mm -hmm. uh, you know, electricians. Yeah. I guess electricians get a lot because, but electricians' assistants, so you've got the electrician who does all the legal stuff. He's legally there and can sign off on it. But the crew of 15 guys who are doing the actual work, often illegals, they're not getting crap. And this is the problem. So, I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that in there when I see this 356,000 workers coming to the U.S. We don't need them. No. What no. we need is to restart our economy so that the companies can afford to pay workers. That's what needs to happen. And that did start happening with Trump. People were getting paid more, 
and there was more participation in the workforce because companies were able to pay their employees more. That happened under Trump. Because the economy was healthier and they were able to sell more. You know, that's one right. of the things. I, I, you know, Democrats don't get this. It's the fundamental rule of business and the fundamental rule of economics. And it's this. It's one statement. The customer pays for everything. Yep. You want to pay your workers more? The customer has to pay for it. Yep. Period. You want to pay higher taxes? The customer has to pay for it. The customer pays for everything in business. You need a healthy economy in order to have companies able to pay their workers more because they've got to have more customers paying for those goods and services that the workers are contributing to. And, and Trump I was doing that. He was Shipping doing a bunch of, of immigrants, legal or otherwise, isn't going to accomplish that. In right. fact, it's going to be worse because they're going to come in for their jobs with their visas, but all the money's going to go out of the country. Yep. And I I hate to have to point this out, but it needs to be said. Trump built it up and then in six months practically destroyed it. Yeah. Biden destroyed it. No, Trump did. Oh, Trump destroyed it? In, well, uh, who shut it down? During COVID. That's right. I know he tried to restart it. But he gave the governors the okay to shut everything down. That started with Trump. Yep. And yep. a lot That's, of people uh, tend to forget that. You know, uh, George Bush was supposed to, at the time he was president, he was being hailed as a good president, uh, G.W. Bush. But he's the one who started the whole buyout thing. Mm-hmm. He bought, or uh, bailout, he bailed out Delta, remember? Yep. And that was the first of a long line. Obama did the rest, but it started with Bush. Yeah. And I hate to say this, but the shutdown started with Trump. I maybe he it was the governors, but it, it was the governors who did it. You're right. It was Trump who who sort of gave them the the stamp of approval of of you know a consolidated unified federal um, strategy. Yeah. But here's what what. I'd have to go back and read the particulars of the news and that kind of stuff. Did he buy into the stupid flatten the curve thing? Did he really think when he did that, this is going to be two weeks and then it's open back up? I think he did. And if he did, then he was, I mean, he was fooled. He was fooled. He he was, you know, taken for a, a, whatever, a, a, a mark of a con or something like that. But I don't know. Is he going to, is he going to, have some wisdom from that experience if he, you know, say, gets the president. That's again. what I wonder. But, Is, know, I did he learn his hope. lesson here? I would like to hear him say, yeah, I made a that mistake. That was a mistake. Yeah, that would be awesome. If he said that was a mistake, I shouldn't have done that. I'd do it different second time around. <laughs> There's a the lot problem of is, votes that he would have just by saying that. He never admits to making a mistake. And no. that's why if he runs and DeSanta runs, I have a feeling DeSanta will win. Oh, yeah. In the, the primaries. primaries. Yeah. But, but, you know, DeSantis is a is a Trump supporter, too, though. Yeah, he is. Well, but did did he shut down Florida? I don't even remember. I don't think so. No. I, like, I think Florida is one of those. Uh, South Dakota and a few others. They said, yeah. uh-uh, we're not going to do it. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, last bit of news. China launches the Wentian model, module, which is going to be one of two laboratory modules uh, to complete their Tiangong space station. Uh, These are like modules that will be attached to yeah. the space station they've been building out in space. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's a laboratory space station. So yeah, I don't. I don't but you know I, what laboratory means for China? That's where they're going to be doing their extreme. I think know, that's where they're going to do the uh, the, the, the the next nuclear uh, COVID weapons. And stuff. No, well, I don't think well, they'll be too. doing nuclear because that would be too obvious. I will it. I I yeah. I mean, nuclear explosion in space. You'd pick it up. People would pick it up easy. But I'm thinking viral viral technologies and stuff like that. Think about it. They can work with complete impunity up there. And if something goes wrong, you just burn the whole thing, destroy okay. all biologicals, and then you can repopulate the space station afterwards. Yeah. I get okay, but here's what here's what comes to my mind. Let's what if they develop a missile or whatever and they send it I mean, if they send it out, say, to the moon. If, a, if there's a nuclear explosion on the moon, would anyone really see it if they weren't looking at exactly that spot? Well, I bet NASA. I bet NASA has enough aimed at the moon, the visible surface of the. Now, if it's the far side of the moon, I don't know. But and it, the side would that it, faces up us, I bet NASA would see it. Would it be big enough? Would they see it well enough to not think, well, it was some kind of meteor or something? Well, that's a different question. Yeah, that's true. I mean, would it would it register some kind of you know radio signals or something like that that would the reason it as a nuclear? I don't know. Uh, this there's a space then an amateur space community is because there's so much of the sky that is not being monitored. Oh right, right. I mean, it's just that's true. There's just a lot, and so. I don't know. That's what comes to my mind. And they could do something and it would have no effect on anyone other than them being able to watch it. A but, few, uh, a few like, like amateur crate, what would be like... A couple people uh, could say, hey, look at this. There was some kind of explosion. crazies. Yeah. It, it would be like, you know, the same, you know, like the SETI crowd or something. Oh, yeah. You, you think you see extraterrestrial life. You think you see nuclear explosions out in yeah. space. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. That is all of my news. That's all your news? I got That's all my news. Okay. I I'm surprised. Before I get into nonsense, I'm going to talk about uh, in uh, Greenwood uh, Park Mall... In Indiana, Indianapolis, just like south of Indianapolis, there was a shooting the other the other week. Uh, three people. Oh, okay, okay. Well, this is worth bringing up because three people were killed by this shooter. The shooter was a 20 year old, uh, had some rifles and a handgun. Um, and, but here's what's remarkable about it, and I'm looking for the uh, part of the news that actually reports on. The news is so reluctant to report on this. Um, but, uh, fellow Alicia Dickin, an armed bystander, fired on the shooter from 40 yards away. Within 15 seconds from the, when the shooting began, Dickin fired 10 rounds, hitting the shooter as the shooter tried to retreat into the bathroom, but he collapsed and died. Now, here's the thing. This person didn't have 
police training or a military background. He was carrying under a new um, understanding in Indiana. Basically, Indiana has adopted this posture that says the Constitution gives you the right to carry concealed. You don't need to go apply for a concealed carry permit. Yeah, there's talk of uh, that becoming the way Ohio is as well. So here's an example where that posture probably saved a bunch of people in that mall. Who knows? The the shooter himself had like two rifles and a handgun on hand. But you know what else I would point out? 40 yards? What what did he have? A handgun? That's what I'm thinking. A handgun 40 yards. I mean, it might have been a, a very focused kind of like a spray and pray kind of like bam, 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 like 10 because it said he fired 10 rounds okay but, but 40 yards four, is is a lot that's like halfway across I a would, football field i would have trouble hitting someone at 40 feet with a, a handgun definitely with a handgun yeah no I mean, doubt it, no doubt that's good <laughs> that I, I mean no no military training but boy you know he spent some time at the range he must have, because that's good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a very good shot because I, I have shaky hands, but uh, even if I were steady as a rock, I, I would still say that's good, a person at that far away. So, yeah, good job. All right. Um, this is something you, you brought up about monarch butterflies. Yeah. Um, I don't know what is causing the drop in... Um, population of monarch butterflies or whatever but just kind of an interesting thing uh there's a butterfly called the viceroy which looks very similar to the monarch and the thing is the viceroy is distasteful to predators they don't like it so they leave it alone so the vice the monarch makes himself look like a viceroy or evolutionary wise it ends up you know looking yeah, like a viceroy okay. and therefore benefits from looking like something that's distasteful to predators and so predators leave the monarch alone too because they, they can't tell the difference yeah um, I think the decline has something to do with insecticides but I'm not sure probably I, yeah. I remember probably hearing not something predators. about that mm-hmm. for example um when I said I saw those caterpillars out there, we saw four or five. I mean, they were super tiny. It was yeah. I have never seen a caterpillar this small. Um, unfortunately, that same plant was covered in aphids oh, okay. at the same time, mm-hmm. and I tried to ignore them at first because I wanted I didn't want to kill the butterflies. Right. But eventually, it was like. It was a disgusting amount of aphids. So and I was like, all right, I'm going to have to spray it. it. Yeah, I did spray it, and they died. And may I assume that it killed the monarch uh, caterpillars, caterpillars as well. Too. Right. But uh, So looking like a poisonous bug did not help them in this case because I'm the one who killed them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're responsible for this, adding them to the... It's all my fault. Because <laughs> you killed four of them. You only saved one in a jar or whatever it is. It was just did. like one... I can't even remember. I think it was hydrangeas or something. It's just this one bush was uh-huh. covered with them. It was Oh, weird. okay. Wow. All right. Anyway, on to some serious nonsense news. So we talked right. about, like, record... Uh, 
heat waves in Europe and stuff. Yeah. Um, well, a British cinema, I guess, you know, trying to be a little bit uh, cheeky, uh, as part of beating the heat wave, has been offering redheads free tickets to their cinema. Just redheads, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, I, redheads, for like redheads the... are, are known for having fiery tempers, so... <laughs> Oh, okay. Come in and sit down and have a have a movie and, and settle chill. down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I I don't know a whole lot of natural redheads. Me neither. I'm trying to think. I don't, but uh, Vicky's dad is a natural redhead. Oh, is he? Or really? at least he was in his old pictures. I knew a guy that was I mean, biological I knew, dad. I guess I don't know many natural redhead women. I knew a guy in college who was a redhead. We always called them Copper Top. And it, it's been my experience that usually redheads are kind of dorky, you know, with the <laughs> freckles and stuff. Yeah. Um, but he was a, like, fiery Irish redhead. Mm-hmm. And his wife is uh, is 100% Comanche, not Comanche, um, I can't remember the tribe now, but an oh. Indian yeah. And so she's half Irish and half Indian. I see. <laughs> two two extremes there. Yeah. All right. So you heard the joke about the the two guys going camping and one of them's got gym shoes packed and his buddy says, "What do you got gym shoes for?" He says, "Well, in case we meet up with a bear." He says, "You're not going to outrun a bear." He says, "I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you." Okay. Well, a fellow, uh, I guess he didn't get the message of that joke because instead of just planning to outrun his buddy, he actually killed his fishing buddy because he was convinced that his fishing buddy was summoning Bigfoot to come and eat him. Nuh-uh. Nuh-uh. <laughs> did he really do it? It says Is he allegedly... like a joke or did he... Sanders allegedly killed Jimmy Knighton on Oklahoma's South Can- Canadian River... During a barehanded fishing trip gone wrong, the two had a fight that ended with Sanders striking and strangling uh, Knighton. He confessed. The victim's body was found. Sanders said he killed Knighton because his friend intended to feed him to Bigfoot. An affidavit read, according to the reporter. That's so sad. <laughs> it is so this sad. This guy is that messed I, up you, that he you would think, think that. Maybe they were like doing some drugs or something while they were out fishing or whatever. They, I mean, I've got to think there's something been. involved here, you know? There's got to be more than I than thought he is, was going to yeah. summoning a Bigfoot. Because that's just... It's, I, don't, it's, I don't have words for that one. He's going to come... Terrible. He's going to recover at some point and he's going to just be like... I killed my friend, a fishing buddy. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's like I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah. You know, we go to those um, those uh, Red River Gorge trips every year, mm-hmm. and it's like a running joke, and to me and the kids, because um, if there's ever a black bear that comes into our camp. <laughs> Um, we've got a bet on whether or not I could spank one and get away. And I have to spank them on the butt and still get away. <laughs> but I know I can outrun you and Dan the man. So <laughs> yeah. the the hard part will be getting in that spanking, but I think I could do it. 
<laughs> I'm pretty fast. Thing is, if if I you know black bears, if if there's you know, it depends on how easily distracted it is. Because if yeah. for some reason the bear is after you and you can't distract it with something. You don't have any way to go. You you might be able to run faster than it for a time, but you yeah. can't last longer than it. You are and, right. And you can't climb a tree to get away from it. They'll climb a tree just as well as you will. I don't know. I climb a tree pretty damn fast. It's not about speed. The fact is they'll keep climbing. There's a guy, um, buddy at, up, up in Michigan when I worked there was telling me... Um, who was up in a, a hunting blind in a tree, you know, one of those seats you, yeah. you go and wrap around the trunk. Anyway, he was up, up in a hunting blind and he hadn't realized to leave all of his food back at the base camp, but he had snacks with him. Well, some cub bear smelled it and climbed the tree because it smelled food. It was looking for food. He's trying to, you know, get the cub away. The cub wasn't a danger yeah. to him. But right. he's trying to get the cub to go away, and the cub made a distress sound. Mama bear. The hunter died. Really? Yeah. Wow. Anyway. I, yeah. I, What's that? I, went, I was watching a nature show once, and there were these... Uh, it was a documentary about some scientists doing some kind of work. And one of the problems they experienced is that they, they always had to have a gun with them. Because these black bears would sometimes get aggravated with them. Oh, right. And there was, they showed this scene where this black bear, it was like 50, 60 yards away. It was far away. But it got up on its hind legs and looked at them and started growling at them. Oh, wow. And they're standing there like, okay, well, let's see what he does. And then it would charge for about 10 yards and then stop and do this again. And they're like, I don't know, he's getting closer and closer. Finally, they started firing their gun to try to scare it. And it wasn't getting scared. I don't it just, think it would be scared by noise. When it did that, when it got down and started charging, it would charge for about 10 yards at a time. Mm -hmm. It was the most frightening thing I'd ever seen. And I, since then, every time I talk about bears, I have a bear nightmare. <laughs> and that's the nightmare. You're going to have a nightmare this bear. <laughs> I am, because we talked about bears. Well, you know, this bear about, running at you is... Uh, altering our Red River Gorge, you know, and going somewhere else. And I've, I've wanted to, to go out to towards, like, Yellowstone or, or Black Hills or whatever. They've got brown bears there that are bigger. And, yeah. And um, if you go, like, if you want to go backpacking, say, in Yellowstone and stuff, they make you... You know, train with bear repellent. Yeah, um, I wonder how well that really works. Well, well enough that that they're confident that if you train with it to use it appropriately, you you're going to be okay against these brown bears that are bigger okay. than you know. So uh, it must be like some super hyped up, super concentrated pepper spray is what it boils down to. Yeah. Well, why? Why did this hunter, if he was in a hunting thing, why didn't he shoot that bear? Why did he shoot it? Why didn't he shoot the bear? Why is he dead? 
Oh, I don't know. The story you told before. The, yeah, it was. It was. It's a secondhand story. My buddy told it to me, <laughs> so I don't know. I remember Jason uh, sent us some pictures. This was like ten years ago mm-hmm. of a guy. It was the remains of a guy, and he had a nine millimeter, and the nine millimeter was empty, and he had gotten attacked by a, a grizzly, and he had oh, shot the grizzly. Man. Wow. He had emptied the gun, a nine millimeter, into, into this grizzly, yeah. and it still didn't stop. I can't imagine I can coming that. up against something that that ferocious, that unstoppable. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah. Yep. Bears okay. are uh, forces to be respected in nature, for sure. But not Bigfoot. If your friend's trying to call Bigfoot, <laughs> of Bigfoot don't kill don't, him. Uh, you do don't not need him. to kill your buddy. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm laughing at it, but it's so tragic. <laughs> I know. Okay. Okay. Uh, moving on. So, I, have you ever seen the Liberty Mutual insurance commercials with uh, Limu Emu and Doug? No. Okay. I. It's like... I don't know how to explain them. You you have to go look up Liberty Mutual Emu Commercial. Emu is E M U. It's a kind of large bird, okay. like an ostrich looking thing. Anyway, I know what. So I, I guess some people managed to catch some video of an emu like dodging traffic, trying to get across a uh, I don't know an interstate in Houston or whatever until it yeah. was finally captured and brought back to its owner. <laughs> so this was a, a like a farm emu. And okay, yeah, I see the mm-hmm. emu commercials yeah. with Doug. Yeah, um, I wonder where is this? Texas, Texas. Okay, but they're originally Australian, right? I think, I think so. Are. Yeah, they're not native um, animals, right? So the ostriches are Africa, emus are Australian. Jason, Jason looked into starting either an ostrich farm or an emu farm. He he was seriously thinking about it for a while. Wow! I what? said, Jason, if you start an emus, let me manage it. I'll manage the dang thing for you, because uh, I would love to run an emu farm or an ostrich farm. Yeah, but what would you? I mean, how do you make money with them? Okay, if I remember right, at the time I was looking into ostriches, an empty egg was a hundred bucks. Empty? I empty. Like no no stuff like Just the in shell. It? Right. Just the shell was a hundred bucks. Like an ostrich egg? Like like I mean a, an okay, ostrich. seven inch egg, but what so like a hundred bucks and then people would what, take it and uh like decorate it? I guess decorate it, yeah, stuff like that. Holy cow. So a hundred bucks for an egg, and then that's I mean, that's the empty egg, I guess for the filling, that's another avenue of uh or stream of Revenue, and then the the meat. When you do finally uh, butcher a bird, uh, think about how much meat is in an ostrich. It's, mm-hmm. it's a giant amount of. It's like a, I mean, imagine a chicken breast that's like you know the size of a giant roast. Yeah. So uh, there, and ostrich meat obviously costs more than chicken meat, but I don't. Th- I don't. I wouldn't think that you would butcher them because. I have no idea what their incubation time is, and, and mm-hmm. I don't know how often they even lay eggs. But that's where the money would be made. Wow. Is between breeding and the eggs. 
<laughs> wow. But, okay. you know, they, they popped up for a while, but they didn't last very long. Uh-huh. So it, it doesn't look like they were very... Uh, it doesn't look like much happened there, you know. They, I mean, it was a fad. Yeah, yeah. And that fad's been over for a while. And obviously they weren't very lucrative. Yeah, now now they're all searching for work in insurance yeah, commercials. Amazon or insurance, yeah. All right, uh, my next and last. Um, so in Moscow, Russia, they have this chess-playing robot. Now, it's not just like a chess computer program that tells you in the next move like Deep Blue. Apparently, this chess-playing robot actually has a robotic arm that goes and moves the piece. It was playing against a seven-year-old... And apparently the seven-year-old reached out while the robot was moving its piece. And when the seven-year-old reached out to move a piece, the robot reached over and grabbed the seven-year-old's finger and broke it. Let him have it. It's not wise to upset a Wookiee. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) I'll teach that seven-year-old not to to jump the gun on his turn during a chess game with a robot. (laughs) Yeah. No one worries about upsetting a droid. That's because a droid doesn't pull people's arms out of their sockets when they lose. Well, apparently now they do. These droids break your fingers. Russian droids. That's right. Pull your arms out of your sockets. That's the problem with C-3PO. He wasn't designed in Russia. He wasn't a Russian droid. Russian droids will break your finger. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm just trying to think of what was the programming in that robot that decided, oh, the, let me leave my computer and grab the finger of this opponent. <laughs> That's AI gone badly. I guess so. <laughs> wow. Anyway, that is all I have for tonight. All right, that's about all we got time for. What time is it? Oh, uh, right. it's almost, almost three uh, hours. one quarter of yeah. one. Three right. hours. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, think about what we said, and as always, circle those beads, and we will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Yeah.